Hello and welcome to my podcast, Conversations with Cornelius, where I, Cornelius Patrick O'Sullivan, discuss, chat and hypothesize on all things from fatherhood, marriage, comedy and everything else in between. From time to time, there will be special guests, but mostly it's going to be me and some regular contributors, including my main squeeze, Noelle Patricia O'Sullivan, a.k.a. The Wife. So sit back, relax and enjoy Conversations with Cornelius! Hello, ladies and gentlemen. You are very welcome back to 52, 52, 52, 52, 52, episode 52. Episode 52 of the podcast. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to... Um, the podcast and this is a special podcast it's the last one of the year it's episode 52 and it's a and we're we're going on to part two of the story uh sex drugs and gaa but before i go on to the story there's a few things that i want to say to you beautiful beautiful people um just let you know where i am i'm in the john hume war room it is 11:38 a.m Monday the 20th of December it is eight days since I last spoke to you and um, I'm much better health-wise physically I'm much better Um, I possibly Noel was doing the maths we reckon I was uh, symptom free uh, Thursday Um, but uh, yeah I still feel kind of they, what do they call the long covid vibe the lethargy and stuff like that you know i'm still not back but then again sure maybe i'm just always like that do you know what i mean i could very well always be like that so anyway before i go any further let me give a shout out to my beautiful sponsor west cork beer company um at this stage of the races i'm not sure if you can get the orders in but even if you do if you've forgotten someone and you're like oh, shit I meant to get Uncle Joe something. He was very good to me that time when Mary left me. <laughs> I'll, yeah, and he's a big beard. I'll go on here now and I'll order this and it'll come a few days late and sure, I'll just arrive up at his house and I'll say, there you go, Joe, I got you that for Christmas. Sure, he won't even know. That's what I would do anyway if I were you. And www.westcorkbeardcompany, ladies and gentlemen. Proud to be uh, associated with them this year. I'm not sure if our sponsorship deal is going to continue next year. We'll have to sit down and and have a chat, myself and Colin, um, and see uh, where the land lies. But um, one thing's for sure, I fucking love West Cork Beard Company with all my bones. And I always will, no matter whatever happens. Win, lose or draw, as they say. Um, win, lose, or draw. Now, I have some information, ladies and gentlemen. During the summer, I weighed myself, and I was 15 stone and 3 pounds. So, I don't know what that is in kilos. I don't know what that is in pounds. It'd probably be easy enough to do it. What is There's 14 pounds. There's 14 pounds in a stone, and I was 15 of those stones. So, that was 200 head, but I was another 3 on top of that. So, I was 200 and 13 pounds in weight, 213, about 13, eh, that's a lot for your frame, eh, so I was like, okay, I am enjoying my life, I am enjoying my life thoroughly, 
and I'm enjoying the food that I'm eating and I don't really want to change the food that I'm eating um, but I do want to live a little bit better and I do want to lose a little bit of weight because I was like, geez, if I got COVID, no, you know, I'm, I'm a heavy lad. It might, might hurt me, you know. So I decided that I would start intermittent fasting. And my aim was, I set myself a goal of intermittent fasting every day, every single day between uh, then and Christmas Day. And seeing as Christmas Day is next Saturday and today is Monday, I'm just going to do it today because... Um, you won't hear from me until the new year because this is my last podcast of the year. I'm taking a break until uh, the start of January. And uh, <coughs> so I may as well do it now. So before I did this podcast, I went upstairs and I weighed myself. I took off my clothes. I left on my shoes. I left on my socks and jocks now, lads. So that could be a stone, right? I was thinking to myself, they're heavy enough. Um, but I went up and I weighed myself. And uh, before I give you that figure, I just wanted to tell you how I got on. I feel that since I decided to do that, since I set myself that task in the middle of the summer, that it was in the back of my mind all the time. And even when I was being, I'm going to use the word bold because I just think it's a fun, easy word to use. Um, And when you're you're setting yourself a task, you're either good or you're bold. Uh, You know, you're good or you're bad. And when I was, when I was bad, when I was off plan, I suppose, um, it would pop into my head. You need to get back intermittent fasting. You can you can eat what you want. You can have whatever you want, but you just need to get back intermittent fasting. Get back into the vibe. Get back into the go. And there was one period of about six weeks where uh, I was off plan. And um, just an old message coming in there from Instagram. Get rid of that there now. Um, but yeah, there was about a period of about six weeks where I was off plan. And I was still eating what I wanted. And I could feel... I could feel myself not enjoying it, and then um, shortly after, uh, shortly after the sixth week, I got back on track again. And then there was a few more bumps in the road. But anyway, long story short, I would say since I started, so we're talking about August, September, October, November, and December—five months, right? I would say that I was definitely on plan half of that time, maybe even sixty percent of that time. And uh, I feel definitely, and this is what I definitely feel, I feel like I've not been on a diet in any way, shape or form. I've been eating what I wanted since that day and drinking what I wanted as well. Now, I will also preface that by saying I allowed myself to eat and drink whatever I wanted to, but I intentionally tried to focus on eating healthy when the the possibility uh, presented itself. So I was trying to make healthier choices not conscious about you know calories or points or anything like that but like just make a, a healthy healthy choice for example the juicing I, even when i was off plan there were a few days where i started the day with a juice and then i fell down afterwards but i i was i was still trying to go for health go for health but anyway okay so with that being said um i weighed myself this morning and uh i was not down an awful lot of weight um but i was down weight i was 14 stone multiplied by 14 is 196 i was 14 stone eight pounds so or sorry nine pounds so that's another two so i w- i am now 198 pounds 198 minus 213 a loss of slightly over a stone 
stone and one pound. And um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm I'm actually happy enough with that. I'm rev- I'm 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 very happy with. It. I set myself a ridiculous uh, target of um, getting down to um, the weight that uh, the dictionary defines uh, as my ideal weight, because technically I'm still obese. Um, uh, but at the time I was like hitting. I was almost morbidly obese. Even though you look at me, you wouldn't really think of it. But like, yeah, have a look at me with no clothes, lads. Different different kettle of fish. But anyway, I am I'm down there now to under two hundred, right? Um, Fourteen nine, and uh, I'm going to continue along this plan, and I'm going to do my next, we'll say, big weigh-in when I get to, uh, to when I get to August. So between now, which is December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, in eight months' time, I'll be doing it twelve. I'll be doing it the guts of uh, twelve months, and. Um, I'll have my next uh, official way in then. And I'll let you know how I'm getting on from time to time. I, I have no doubt there'll be a few bumps on the road. But um, I, one thing I found by intermittent fasting, because you're allowing yourself to have whatever you want whenever you want it, you don't want whatever you want. What it, you, know, you don't want it as much. You know, there's no kind of, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, when you're, when you're being, you know, if you're on a diet or if you're off carbs or you're doing Weight Watchers or something like that and you're off sweets, you can't have them, they're a sin or whatever. Sure, that's all you fucking think about, you know? But with this, if I saw chocolate and I wanted chocolate, I just had it, you know? But anyway, I think that's enough about that. Um, I do want to get back to the story. Some of you are like, fucking hurry on and get on to the story. Um, but before I do that, my very last thing I want to say is I want to just thank absolutely everyone who listens to my podcast from the bottom of my heart. I am so sincerely thankful and grateful to everyone who has tuned in, even if, even if it was for one episode or if it was for all 52 episodes, you're as important to me as each, as each other. You know, I genuinely appreciate it. And if you've taken some time out to rate and review it on iTunes, and um, a good few of you have. I just want to say thank you again so, so much. Uh, it really means the world to me, you know. But, um, yeah, with that now, I'm going to get back to uh, sex, drugs, and GAA. So when I, when I finished up the last time, I was in the car and a text came in from the Hoover and the text said, well, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. And I was in what could only be described as a, a haze of, oh God, it's like it's hard, to, it's hard to even describe the emotions when you, when you get knocked out of um, a poker tournament, like that poker tournament, in the way that you get knocked out. It was just... Oh, it's just disgusting. You feel stupid. You feel... All the small things in your life get magnified. Oh, you're useless, you're worthless, you're this, you're that and the other, you know. And I, I remember I just kept running the hand over in my mind. How had I mistaken ace two? Ace two for ace ace. Two aces. Like ace two, the worst opening hand statistically in poker is 7-2 ace 2 is not far away from 7-2 ace 2 for ace ace 
and I wouldn't mind, but I had seen the exact same thing happen before in a cash game when a guy mistook his own hand. He hit king-queen for a pair of kings. And I could almost understand how you could make that, how that could happen. But ace two. Oh my God, I was devastated. I mean, the last six weeks prior to that, I, I was just on, I was probably on the worst losing streak of my life. Bad beats, bad breaks, bad luck, bad play, and fucking buttered on the sandwich of bad attitude. I just had a bad attitude. When you're running good in poker, right, and what you don't say good, you, you, you say hot, he's running hot. Anything you play turns to gold. There's like, there's a saying, a famous saying, the World Series uh, of Poker Champion in the 70s, Doyle Brunson, right? I suppose he'd be the godfather of Texas Hold'em. He used to say was, you play your rush. You play the rush. And that means you get involved when you're winning. So, like, it's a game of patience and persistence. But when you're winning, you play hands you shouldn't. Luck is on your side. And there is no doubting that there is luck. Is look another word for magic? Because I think it is. Like, it's not exactly a mathematical formula, but if you ask any poker player about playing the rush, 100% of them will tell you it's true. When you're losing, you do the opposite. Yep, you're supposed to shrink up like, a, like an asshole in cold water. You play less hands, you gamble less, you make more mathematical choices. It's what separated the winners from the losers. If you were able to to play the rush and stall the losing rush. And that's that's what I was poor at. I was poor at that side of the game. <coughs> they call it they there's a name for it in poker, it's called tilting. Like my game theory now was very strong really strong like my my ability to win big pots was great i was patient enough to win you know one or two tournaments and you know kind of to eke out a living on the cash tables but like fuck me when i was tilting it could go on for it could actually go on for months you know what tilting actually means is it means like to like to chase your losses and usually in a haphazard way. You know, not... You can't chase something and be methodical, you know. And on the lead up to this tournament, I fucking tilted away, I'm embarrassed to say, thousands. Thousands. And for me, the money, it actually meant fuck all. It really meant fuck all. I was playing this game for respect. I was playing this game to be fearless, to learn how to be fearless, to become fearless. I was sick of being afraid. I needed to be liked. I needed to be admired. I needed to be loved. I was so desperately unhappy. And anything, anything at all that took away the real feelings underneath the feelings of worthlessness and sadness was what I chased. 
this tournament was a test I had set myself and this it was like okay if you do well in this tournament the, the tilt is over you're back on track here it is you're a good player prove it to me now prove it to me and I fucking sabotaged it myself I couldn't blame anyone I couldn't blame there's no one to blame you can there's plenty of times you can make excuses on the poker tailor table you know oh you played the hand perfectly but the other guy just had a better hand or the other guy just got lucky on the river he was like a fucking dog all the way through it came out on top and that happens usually against a person who's playing a rush but ace fucking two like maybe I raise with ace two in, in position. I mean, my play at the start isn't is like my play at the start is is correct. It's folded into me. I raise, okay. But then it goes straight in the muck when you're re-raised all in, you know, because what you do is you look at your cards again. But I was so arrogant, so fucking stupid, so blinded by the by the text. I I don't remember much about the drive home. Because, like, honestly, it's like you're drunk, even though you're as sober as a judge. I always played cards sober. I never, ever drank at the table, really. Uh, unless I... On, uh, very rarely, if if I was coming in to get a taxi and I sat down at the... Ca if I was out drinking or something and I came in to get a taxi because they'd look after you inside there. The staff would look after you. Of course, you were sure you were dropping thousands you're paying their wages you know but anyway I don't remember the drive home but my car I just remember pulling up to the apartment about midnight and the music is blaring inside and my then fiance is inside with some of her friends and they're all singing and dancing and I am allergic but I'm also feeling self-destructive like for me tilting didn't just occur at the poker table I took that shit with me I took it outside to dance destructiveness is all I desired <laughs> if I was being loose with my morals I'd, f I'd fool myself into thinking that I didn't care about anything I'd laugh it off and take another line I don't, I don't do cocaine now. I haven't done cocaine in years. In years and years and years. And I have no desire to take it. You know, I have no desire for any of the synthetic um, f drugs that are made, you know, from cartels and all that kind of shit. But it's not, you know, back then, I didn't have that insight. Inside the apartment, there was a party in full flow, and it was good times, everybody. We're talking about Ireland, 2006, everything in excess. So I joined in with my two feet, anything to get the game out of my head. Not to mind the fucking game the following morning. And I can tell you, at this stage, I'd completely forgotten about that game. Completely and utterly, the game had gone out of my head for this period. The girl I was engaged to at the time, but consequently I never married, long story. Um, for a different day, maybe, maybe not. Anyway, she's from Lithuania, and I don't know if you know anything about Lithuanians, 
But if you don't, let me tell you my opinion of the ones that I have met, and I have met plenty. They would drink Irish people under the fucking table. Vodka! Vodka is more common than milk, from my experience in Lithuania. You visit someone and a bottle of vodka appears. It's their, it's their equivalent of tea. I remember I went to a wedding once, right, just outside uh, Kaunas in Lithuania. Kaunas is like Cork. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's the second city. Um, but anyway, it was BYOB or BYOV, <laughs> which is their tradition. That's their tradition. You just bring your own gat. You bring your own gat to the wedding, right? And uh, I remember my fiance bought eight liters of vodka. And when I asked her <laughs> um, if we were going to get any beer, she said, Don't be a pussy. It's a two day wedding. <laughs> So we were going to drink eight litres, between the two of us, apparently, um, for over two days. Four litres of vodka. Um, Christ almighty. I didn't. I, I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to. And she made a fine stab off, off it. But, like, everybody was falling around at that wedding in a fucking, like, in a state of extreme drunkenness. So that's my, uh, that's one of my opinions of the Lithuanians. Um... And this night, my apartment is full of Lithuanians and a smattering of like other Eastern European countries, all friends of the Bjor. Um, and like there was like like re- like Eastern European kind of house music, and people were dancing in states of undress and drunkenness. <laughs> it was it was just so fucking alien to where I had just come from and it was like a fucking snapshot out of of that and I just sat I sat down in the couch um I think I might have had a spliff and uh I sat uh, sitting down discussing World War 2 and the Russian involvement with two these two massive giants from Vilnius two uh, friends um to Lithuania, like ma- like f- huge guys, like many times throughout the night, I thought they would be like custom-made Gaelic football midfielders, the Twin Towers, uh, the vil- the Vilnius villains. <laughs> they're fucking huge. Like these, they were like six foot eight, maybe even six foot nine. Their hands were like shovels, like but big shovels now, like sh- snow shovels. Like the veins in their arms were like s- fucking small rivers, or you know, I don't know. They were just, and uh, their names, I still remember their names, Danos and Janos. So I called them Dan and John. <laughs> Dan and John, or Dan, Dan, Horo, Danos, and John and Janos. Anyway, I drank vodka with these monstrosities till around two or three, and at some stage I sl- managed to slip away <coughs> into my bed. My brain was wet enough to drown out the pain of earlier. And um, <laughs> as I was in bed anyway, right, I was charging up the phone and I was rereading my text from earlier and suddenly catapulted back to the whole fucking reason I lost my head and consequently the poker tournament. It was the match. And the manager texting me personally. They needed me. And it felt like like a lifetime ago. And I was, like I was, I, remember I, was, I wasn't locked like, but I was well on. I remember I probably, I remember thinking I probably won't even wake up. I'll probably sleep it out. Like at the time I was sleeping till fucking one or two o'clock in the afternoon. 
So I didn't, like, and this is if, you know, normally, you know. So I didn't have much hope. But there was still a part of me, like, way down deep inside that believed that I could do this, like. I just had to want it badly enough to make the required effort. That was all. That's all you had to do. I fell into a, a drunken slumber. And uh, this is weird, right? And I, <laughs> I, I remember dreaming, right, of floating down a stream towards a waterfall, picking up speed, but being blissfully unaware of my impending doom. And how do you remember that dream? No, Cornelius, that seems a little bit convenient that you can specifically remember what you dreamt about on a random night 15 or 16 years ago. Huh? Something doesn't feel right there now, Cornelius. Are you making this up? Are you conning me, pun intended there now, Con? No, I'm actually genuinely not because, and I remember this dream because, lads, I regularly dream the same dream. I have this recurring dream. Sometimes I'm aware I'm dreaming the dream whilst I'm in the dream and try and save myself. A kind of a, I think that's lucid dreaming or a style of lucid dreaming. And sometimes I save myself and sometimes I go over the top and sometimes I just have a dream and it never, I ne- it's like, it's like I never get to the waterfall, you know? It's just like, but I'm picking up pace the whole time. The phone rang the next morning at 8 o'clock and I didn't hear it. It kept ringing and eventually herself answered it and woke me up. It was the Hoover. Are you up, Sol? And I still, (laughs) to this day, (laughs) I don't know why I... (laughs) Like this, just like just this is pure knee jerk, right? Um, the, but the, and the words just kind of fell out of my mouth. I was like, "Yeah, I'm up, yeah, man. I'm just out of the fucking shower, like all indignant, as if I would, as if I was asleep." And uh, the Hoover's like, "Ah, oh, man, good man, good man. You'll start now, like you'll start. We're down to the bones of the squad. Do you know what I mean? This is this is big." And I was like, "Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, cool." And it wasn't cool. It was the exact opposite of cool. It was hot. Hot flushes. Come here, boy. I'll ring you there when I'm on the road. I just have to fucking get a f- few bits and pieces there. And I kind of just hung up. And I went to the jacks to splash some water on my face. <laughs> and when I looked at myself in the mirror, I was covered in glitter. Do not ask me how I came to be covered in glitter. But I was destroyed in golden flecks of glitter (laughs) and I think there's a good chance I think I had a mini panic attack in that small apartment bathroom uh, right there right then so I just fucking threw myself into the shower and I scrubbed myself clean you know and if you're familiar with a GA dressing room right you, you will know that they are the most caustic of environments like a lad like me five foot seven with a city boy haircut, two stone overweight, and flecks of glitter, <laughs> leaving a trail as I glide into the dressing room, would result in only one thing, and that is having an, a new arsehole ripped into me, and a cacophony of slags that would leave me with fucking huge future counselling bills. You know, you're talking about thousands and thousands. <laughs> and, You had to be understated. You had to be almost fucking not seen, you know. 
The more humble you can be as a GA player, the more you're liked. You know, if you're brilliant and you say you're not brilliant, then you're a fucking you're brilliant. But if you're average and you score a point and you go on about it, that fellow's full of shit. Don't mind him. He's fucking useless. I, at the time, I had a goatee. I have a big beard now, but I had a little goatee, you know. And um, I, used to love, I used to love shaping it, and it was like, it was slick enough, right? First thing I did when I got out of the shower is I shaved that off. <laughs> shaved it off. Uh, one less fucking bullet uh, to shoot from the gun, <laughs> is what I thought, anyway. And I don't know if it was the adrenaline from the phone call, or the recovery from the panic attack, or the piping hot 15-minute shower to ensure I was glitter-free, but I was actually, I was actually starting to feel all right. I was feeling great. I'd even go so far as to say I was feeling good. Yeah. Like, brilliant. I grabbed my my gear bag, threw my shorts and socks in, said goodbye to to the former (laughs) fiancé and headed into the kitchen. And Danis and Yanis, (laughs) Dan and John, were still up, wide-eyed with drunkenness. And they, they got up and they gave, oh, they gave me a big hug. I was fucking allergic. Cornelius, you are good man. You are good man. And one of them like fucking grabbed hold of my torso and almost squeezed my fucking guts out, out through my mouth. You good man. Slap the back. Slapped me into the back. And I, only that I was expecting it, I would have been flung from one side of the room to the other. So I kind of absorbed it in some kind of a weird way. And, like, again, right, if anything, that encounter woke me up even more. And by the time I was on the road, I was, I was fucking ready for this game, by. Yeah. I was ready for this fucking match. I'd not played in, Jesus Christ, over a year. And at that stage, that was a comeback game. The reality is, I actually hadn't kicked a ball in earnest in years. I'd made, like, vague efforts since I was 18 or 19. But I hadn't really done anything GA-wise. And then, it hit me. I sobered up. And I realised I'm not high in life at all. I'm still a little pissed. I was still a little... Do you know, you'd never do it now, but like fucking 15 years ago, you'd have no bother going out and drinking away till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and then getting up the next morning at 8 or 9 and going into town or... Do you know what I mean? Going about, going about your business. You'd never think about it 15 years ago. But nowadays, you wouldn't do it in a million years. <laughs> it was, like I'd only got like 4, maybe 5 hours of sleep. And I'd like done serious damage to half a bottle of cranberry vodka before there was ever cranberry vodka this is like proper Lithuanian shit hardcore and suddenly I was like I had a fucking cold sweat going on so I put all the windows down and I headed out towards the city towards Macroom and down to the Gaeltacht of Balangiri that's who we were playing Balangiri a Gaeltacht for, and I had to Wikipedia this, right? Because I wanted to see... Um, I wanted to find out a little bit about Balangiri. 42% of the population speak the native tongue there daily. And those figures discount the education system. So, you know, 40% speak Irish on a daily basis. The Kupla Fuckle, Gokhlaw. And I was thinking to myself, fucking hell. That's class. 
that is class that is something to be proud of you know so it's basically heading down into the middle of nowhere and that's no disrespect to anyone from Balangiri you know I have nothing against the middle of nowhere in fact I'd actually like to end up somewhere just as rural myself one day when my life is tailing off but I had to uh, I had to pull in Balancholic to get some petrol and just as uh, as I was pulling in the phone rings again it was the Hoover so I pick it up and he's like do you have boots and I went oh for fuck sake you stupid fucking pheasant how could you forget your fucking boots you stupid fat fucking prick ah oh, fuck it Dan tis a long time since ah oh, come on man like this is fucking and listen if you knew what I've gone through in the last fucking 12 hours and then he interrupted me he was like just as well I bought you a spare pair then isn't it Scalacci you fucking legend. Come here, I'll ring you back, man. I'm, I'm just getting some juice there. I'm about an hour away. I'll see you there. No bothers, lad. And then he said, come here. Start tuning in for this now. This is our first ever intermediate match. This is history. I know you're not fit, but you're plenty good enough. And here's your chance now to prove me wrong and to prove everyone wrong. I don't even think he said me wrong. I think he said prove everyone wrong. Fuck me, but he knew how to he knew how to switch me on. <laughs> That's best friends for you though. <laughs> they they laugh and know you better than you know yourself. I filled up the car anyway and um I only ordered a small breakfast roll and a can of Red Bull. Hydration is key like. And I headed off down the road out through Ballancolleg and down towards McCroom. <laughs> And I was five minutes down the road and I was cursing my decision to only get a small breakfast roll. I was famished. That's what alcohol does to me. It makes me ravenous. You know, to this day, if I go on a bender, it'll, it'll take me weeks to recover and to get back into a healthy routine. You know. And it's the food. It's the food that drags me down, you know. So, anyway, I pulled over about 20 minutes later and I got three sausage rolls, another little kind of petrol station along the road that had a, a deli. Three sausage rolls for a euro and I got another Red Bull. This time I got a sugar-free one and I remember that because I was going to get a sugar-free one the first time but I said, fuck it, the sugar might be good, you know. And I didn't want to do the dog in it. So I just got a sugar-free Red Bull this time. And out back onto the Sunday morning road and the windows were down and I <laughs> I had a look at myself in the rear view mirror and it's starting to feel good. And now, oh, for fuck's sake, glitter. On my forehead. Now, lads, I have a huge forehead. Right? It's, it makes up most of my face. My face is actually basically 80% forehead. With like my eyes and my nose and my mouth squashed into the remaining 20%. So I, wa I, I shouldn't have been really surprised to see a flicker of glitter had escaped. I fucking pulled over immediately anyway and I gave myself the once over. The red bull was coursing now through my veins. I was alert. And I was fucking actually delighted that I had, you know, I'd spotted it. I was like, yeah, the Red Bull's working now, look. I saw that. Because, like, my life would be over if I turned up to play for Ballyclaw down in the belly of Irishness itself and I had a head full of glitter. Like, I mean, turn up, I can turn up hung over. 
no problem you're kind of a hero you know but turn up looking different and questions will be asked and accusations will be flung and before you know it I'm cast as the the hairdresser (laughs) in the movie of my own life and the respect and the you know and the desire to be like and loved and to be fearless and everything else I'm yearning for well that just fucking evaporates into the ether if I arrive down with glitter on my head red bulled up to my eyeballs hung over anyway miraculously I'm down there for I don't know how this happens but I'm down there for around 10-ish you know and the only other car that's there before me is the Hoover so I hop out of mine and I go into his and the cracks mighty lads oh insults are flying and soon one or two more players arrive and we step outside and then an O'Neill's appears and then there's four of us passing it to each other and I'm holding my own as I pass the ball I ping it high I ping it low it goes left and right and this goes on for a good 10 minutes and for a finish I am totally fucked I'm fucked from it and then I realise that I have made a massive mistake. <laughs> what am I doing here? Oh my god, like this, <laughs> this is just a kick around in the car park, like. And I'm covered in sweat. My jocks are drenched. And I didn't even bring a spare pair. I just realised, I, like, I'm so out of touch. And the lads are bouncing around the place, laughing and joking. And I'm completely wrecked from the kick around. And a few more cars arrive and the gravel crackles. We're counting now the players as they come in, as they arrive, you know. We're looking for the elusive 15. And at half past 10, there are 10 players there. Management are here. And Cuthbert is out in the pitch and he's setting up the cones. How the fuck am I going to get out of the warm-up? That's all that's bothering me now. I mean, if the club are relying on me to start, putting me through any kind of a warm-up is absolutely detrimental to that cause. I'm like Paul McGrath. As in, like, less is more when it comes to training. And not in any other way, really, to be honest. Bar maybe a fondness for drink. So maybe in more... In maybe, yeah, so I'm kind of like Paul McGrath, really, in more ways than one. <laughs> the dressing rooms are opened by, by an old lad with a big ring of keys. And he's warning that some of the showers aren't working. Of course, like... <laughs> I grab my va- my bag and I fling it over my shoulders and I felt 47 and I felt 17 all at the same time. I remember going in the door of the dressing room the strobe light was flickering above. It flickered for about two minutes before it decided to stay on. The dressing room was long and dark and damp and it with a big long wooden table in, 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 in the epicentre. There's electricity in the dressing room, like, obviously, for the light, but, like, a different type of electricity. I sit down at the far end, away from the door, and I decide to try on the spare pair of boots. They are perfect. Like a pint bottle of Bulmers and a glass of ice on a hot monster final day in Thurless. By the time I got settled and had the shorts and the socks on, I noticed that we were up to 16, 16 players in the dressing room. <laughs> we have a sub. I was delighted. 
and devastated all at once. Super weird combination. Two emotions at either end of the scale. <laughs> now I, I'm obviously not going to start, you know. I noticed Luigi and Cuthbert chatting and Luigi pointing out other like, past heroes of the club who had been drafted in to save the day. And he must have thought, what the fuck have I signed up for this morning? Cuthbert, like, I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> he must have thought that. <laughs> he must have gone, I have made a mistake here. How, how, how am I going to get out of this? This is a boo-boo. And then our eyes locked, myself and Brian Cuthbert. <laughs> and Luigi was giving him the rundown on me, which I can only imagine was something like, uh, you know, formal duel, underage minor at club level only, 12 aside, nasty recreational drink and drug habit, left-legged, lazy, plump, probably hungover, but with serious potential. <laughs> How did... I how did Cuthbert and I ever lock eyes in a dressing room environment? <laughs> and let me remind you now, right, that the lads had been back training six weeks. And from what I'd been hearing, the sessions were going amazing. Like, you know, like he was putting together intelligent, t tough and educated, like, sessions. You know, all thought out. <laughs> and they're like, like, tough, intelligent, educated three adjectives that you wouldn't associate with me back then definitely not but we gazed into each other's souls for what like seemed it seemed like a lifetime but it was probably no longer two seconds and in that time I was trying to let him know in those two seconds that even though we had never met before and he did not know me that I was Ballyclaw I'll die out there for you Cuthbert I'll die with my boots on well the boots that the Hoover lend me. I'll die with those boots on for you, Brian Cuthbert. But also, while we're at it, is there any way that I could opt out of the warm-up? <laughs> I'm absolutely knackered, Brian. <laughs> I mean, that was a fucking tough kick around in the car park, and I held my own, you know? That's, that's, that's what I was trying to get across in a two-second glance, all of that at once. And when I saw him <laughs> scratching his head with a pained look, uh, and I was, I was kind of starting to begin to think that maybe we weren't on the same wavelength. <laughs> he shrugged his shoulders and left the dressing room uh, in what looked like despair to me anyway. But the lads were saying it was kind of more like disbelief and anger, you know. <laughs> anyway, at this point I could actually feel the sausage rolls and the Red Bull you know, it's kind of in the, the lower part of my belly, you know. I was kind of thankful that I only had that small breakfast roll. But they were definitely hanging around the gates of my small intestine, so I made my way to the jacks and I spent a troublesome ten minutes there vanquishing my bowels. There <laughs> uh, like there were lots of toxic, smart comments being hurled my way then by some of my lifelong friends in the dressing room when I came back from hogging the throne. But nothing as toxic as the smell from that actual cubicle. So, you know, horses for courses. You win some, you lose some. Yeah. 
By the time I had come back into the uh, the dressing room, seven players had arrived. We were up to 23 players now. What? 23 players? So in 15 start. And it was it was slowly beginning to dawn. I mean, I'm going to probably be under pressure here to get the start. <laughs> or even to get a fucking run. And when I looked around the place, it was full. And then when I looked a little bit closer, we seemed to have 12 or 13 of the starting 15. And the next four or five were first team subs who were definitely ahead of me. And even the old war heroes who had travelled down here in hope of glory, they definitely had more pedigree than me as well, so... Huh. No, they mightn't have had the same amount of potential, but like they certainly had more experience and fitness and football ability. I was starting to feel robbed here. It was a bit of, an, a, bit of a gut punch. Two in 24 hours. Luigi called out the team, and he gave like a rousing speech about it being our first ever game. For the club lev- for cl- for the club at this level, and today was a historic day, and it's hard to muster enthusiasm when you're depressed. But like I'm, I make a living. I'm, I was making my living by pretending to be strong when I was weak, so I stuck out my chest, and was it <laughs> was one of the first to burst out the dressing room door, and to get stuck into the warm up. Cuthbert would see me in action there. That's where I. That's right, Peaky's curiosity and Luigi and Luigi's curiosity too. I was taking this as a fucking insult, a slight, you know. I was not going to let this opportunity pass me now, no fucking way. But I, I did have to run back in for a jacket because it was Baltic. Oh my god, and it was starting to rain a bit as well, you know. Back out onto the pitch anyway, and the players had been split into four groups, and we were uh, we were engaged. In a warm-up drill called truck and trailer. I don't know if you know that now, guys. It's a it's a specific GAA uh, warm-up, and it was a new drill for our club at the time. But we like we use we still use it to this day. It involves speed, accuracy, concentration, agility, endurance. I was I was definitely going to struggle. You know, the Hoover now is roaring at the lads to drive it on, and the light drizzle has now turned into a full-on shower of rain, and my misery is at an all-time high. The Hoover, though, fucking hell, like he he was an inspirational form. I was like I'm fierce proud to be to have him as a friend and we're great friends to this day you know and watching him in this environment it always ah just you know because he like we're so different like he leads by example he'd walk the walk and talks the talk or was like i kind of follow the leader but like kind of from a distance and reluctantly and you know i'd walk the walk like but it would be under duress and if possible i'd get a lift and as for talking the talk, well, yeah, yeah, I'd be, I'd be brilliant at that. <laughs> I'm pretty good at talking the talk, all right. Anyway, the warm-up was like, it was in full flow, and I was stuck in the middle of it, bluffing harder than if I had, a, <laughs> than if I was all in with a pair of twos. But there, and, but like, and I tell you now, lads, there's no petrol left in the engine. I'm literally running on empty, you know. But I'd come this far, and I was going to fucking squeeze whatever I could out of this experience. Next thing, anyway, the ref blows the whistle. And we all run up to Cuthbert for the, the, the final few sentences. And the lads bounded over to him. And all I could muster was a slow, methodical plod. 
and the next thing the ref blows the whistle again he's getting agitated now you know and it is it's starting to piss rain out at this stage and then a spark some of that electricity followed me out from the dressing room a spark ignited my mind I knew it I knew I wasn't going to play in this game and I knew I knew now I definitely knew I wasn't going to get a run I wasn't going to be able anyway but I knew this was my last ever involvement with our first team as well I did a swift 180 and I made a beeline for the ref and I looked over my shoulder they were all in a huddle the hoover our captain was holding court Luigi looked up and he seemed confused the same look that Cuthbert had on his face in the dressing room I'll play with the wind Luigi I shouted before he could get his spake in and turned and found something in me to trot the rest of the way to the middle of the field I was going up for the toss I was technically the captain I shook hands with the ref and the Balangiri captain Christ he was their centre forward intimidating 11 imprinted onto his jersey a quintessential football I was squashed into number 23 <laughs> out of breath and out of my fucking depth this was possibly the only battle that I was capable of winning the toss <laughs> had her harp the ref asked it was an open question I got in there first harp I said he flicked the silver coin high into the grey wet Sunday morning and I watched it twist and turn and never took my eye off its shininess the ref grabbed and smacked it down on his left hand covering the symbol and slowly he removed his hand harp as far as I was concerned I had done my bit for the team I had won the toss the task usually reserved for the captain the hoover was our captain last year and as far as everyone else was concerned he was still the captain it just hadn't been nominated but this is technically the captain's job everyone who was anyone will know who was the real captain on that day the man who would absolutely know training and our leadership qualities from the depths of hell emerged when his kinsfolk needed him when his kinsfolk needed a hero the original official captain of Ballyclaw's first intermediate football team Cornelius Patrick O'Sullivan aka Connie Sullivan aka the pheasant uh, guys <laughs> stay in by the wall and I'll talk to you in 2022 I love you peace